welcome to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Roundtree. Proverbs twenty two seventeen states, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit saps a person's strength. This might seem like an odd scripture to start with when talking about the cross of Christ, but it'll make sense a little bit later. In today's episode, I will continue this series, The Suffering Love of Jesus, but we finally have made it to the cross. The most important thing to understand about the cross is the why. If you understand the why, it'll transform your heart. Traditionally, the cross is approached from a very somber place, but I'm going to take a very different approach today. The story of the cross is divided into three parts. Je- Jesus being led away to the cross, then he's placed on the cross, and then he dies on the cross. This part of the Jesus story contains the very last eight statements that Jesus makes before his death. Seven of those statements are on the cross. So let's get back to this amazing story. Pilate caves in to the demands of the mob because he's afraid a riot is going to break out, even though he knows Jesus is innocent. He sends him off to be crucified. He has Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip. This whip was designed to tear the flesh and expose the nerves to make it even more painful. Jesus is already badly beaten and exhausted. When they crucify somebody in the Roman world, the victims carry their own crosses. But they don't carry the whole cross like you sometimes see in movies or in passion plays. He was just carrying the horizontal beam of the cross. Then later they attached it to the vertical part. Jesus is so badly beaten he can't even carry his own cross the whole way. He's being led outside the city of Jerusalem like a parade or a, or a procession. There was a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and he was coming in from the countryside into the city of Jerusalem. It was the Passover holiday, and thousands, if not millions, were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. The soldiers take hold of Simon and force him to carry Jesus' cross to the hill we call Calvary just outside the city walls. As this death parade marches towards Calvary, a crowd follows behind Jesus, including many grief-stricken women. Their hearts are heavy and they're shattered. This Jewish rabbi was like no other they had met. They had felt accepted, loved by him, but now he's being led away to his death like a criminal. Jesus turns around as he's struggling to make his way, and he utters his very last words to them before he's placed on the cross. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not bore a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains. Fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Do you feel the impact and the power of that statement when Jesus says, 
don't weep for me, but weep for yourself. I mean, whoa. I mean, you might be thinking, what's wrong with weeping for you, Jesus? I mean, these women love you. What's wrong with being a little sentimental or a little somber? You're on your way to your death. This is how many people approach the cross. Once a year on Easter, they have a somber, sentimental reflection. But Jesus says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself. Even though Jesus' body was broken and he was physically weak, these words are strong. They are not the words of a depressed person, but a man on a mission. Jesus knew why he came to this earth. He told them, but many of them did not understand. He told them, I came to suffer, to be betrayed, to be crucified, and to rise from the dead. The author of Hebrews writes, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Only a man with joy on his way to a horrible death could say, Don't weep for me, but weep for yourself. Don't feel sorry for me. If you knew it was coming, you would feel sorry for yourself. The cross of Christ isn't about being somber or sentimental. It's not about being depressed. No, the cross is about joy. It's about deliverance. The Israelite family were slaves for 430 years. They cried out to Yahweh and he heard their prayer and he sent Moses to set them free with the mighty hand and an outstretched arm. With powers and signs and wonders, the Lord proves to Israel and to Egypt who the real and all-powerful God is. Pharaoh had murdered the male babies, throwing them in the Nile River. The beginning of Israel's deliverance would come through what we call today the Passover. Yahweh tells Moses to take a lamb without any defect. They are to roast the lamb. They are not to break any of its bones. They are to use a hyssop branch and put the blood of the lamb on the top of the door and the doorpost. And they were to eat it in haste, fully dressed and ready to go. Yahweh would send his judgment on Egypt for the many male babies they had murdered. The death angel would pass through the land and all the firstborn male children died. What Egypt did to Israel, now Yahweh was doing to Egypt. It is important to remember that the Lord gave Pharaoh several chances to listen and obey, but he hardened his heart and refused to let them go. The Israelites left Egypt in the middle of the night without a sign of a fight. Finally, the Israelites came to the banks of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and his army is charging towards them. Once again, Pharaoh, like a stubborn mule, resists Yahweh. The Lord tells Moses, Do not be afraid. You will see your deliverance today. These Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The wind blows and the Red Sea is split in two. Israel marches through to the other side. Pharaoh and his armies go in after them, but after all of Israel marches through to the other side, the waters like waves come crashing down on Pharaoh, and all of his army is dead. The very first song in the Bible is sung, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. As Jesus was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem like a defeated foe, you would expect he would be mourning. But no, even though his body is broken, his spirit is not. He has joy, he has strength. 
His enemies think they have the victory, but Jesus sees their defeat. In the Roman world, the victor would parade its enemies through the streets as a public spectacle. Paul writes in Colossians, All of the charges and condemnations that were against us were nailed to the cross with Jesus, and he disarmed the spiritual principalities and powers, triumphing over them through the cross, making a public spectacle of them. Like Pharaoh, he thought he had the victory, but Yahweh had planned his defeat. The cross isn't about depression, it's about deliverance. The cross is not about somberness and sentimentalism, it's about joy, it's about justice and mercy. We deserved the cross, but he bore the punishment for us so that he could give us what we do not deserve. Jesus said, don't weep for me. What are you going through? Are times tough? Does your life suck? Look to the cross and you will find joy for your journey, strength to overcome. James tells us to consider a pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. There's a reward ahead. Paul says this present suffering cannot compare to the future glory that we will receive. When we look at the cross, we should sing and shout the victory. The horse and the rider has been tossed into the sea. Jesus overcame and conquered all of our enemies on that cross. The cross is the symbol of freedom. Let's get back to the story. They bring Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then the soldiers nail him to the cross. It's about 9 a.m. in the morning. If you listen to the last couple of episodes, the trial of Jesus with the Jewish authorities takes place during the middle of the night. Trials should not take place in the middle of the night. This was wrong. So the, the trial was a sham. They didn't even give him a defense attorney. Then the, tra- then the trial transitions over to the Roman authorities to about 5 or 6 a.m. All of these things are taking place in a very short amount of time. Jesus is nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. Pilate posted a sign on the cross, which would have been Above Jesus' head, this sign would declare the crime or the charge against the criminal being crucified. The sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so most people could see the crime Jesus was being charged with. The sign read as the following, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, the leading priest objected to this, and they asked Pilate to change it, but You know, they said, you know, he said he was the king of the Jews. But Pilate responded back to them, no, I've written what I've written. Also, there were two revolutionaries crucified with Jesus, one on the right, one on the left. Traditionally, many translations say they were thieves, but I'll explain later why I think they were revolutionaries. Let's take a moment to think about the charge against Jesus, the king of the Jews. This charge is true, actually. But he's more than the king of the Jews. He's the king of the universe. He's the one whom all things were made and all things are held together by his very words. He speaks, let there be light and there is light. An entire universe comes into existence. The point is that kings have power and they can control and dictate their kingdoms and subjects and the destiny of their kingdoms and subjects with the very words of their mouth. 
A wise king brings blessing to his kingdom. A foolish king brings turmoil and chaos. Kings are normally crowned in beauty and majesty and pageantry. Look at the recent events of, of the death of Queen Elizabeth and now the new king, Charles. However, the king of all kings, Jesus, chose out of his great love to be crowned king on a cross of suffering. Because he isn't just any king, he is a true warrior and champion. And on and through the cross, he conquered human suffering. So he could lead us through and out of suffering victoriously. Because of the cross, nothing can separate us from his love. And we are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We don't have to be victims of our circumstances. There is a path of victory. There is a path of freedom. And that pathway is true and it is dependable because this man Jesus, the king and the champion, went through this suffering and he overcame it. Therefore, he can lead us and help us through ours. Not only that, he delights in doing so. It is for his glory and ours that he leads us and helps us through our trials and it says in James, blessed, bless those who are patiently enduring testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Now the Roman soldiers crucified Jesus on the cross. They divide his clothing and they gamble for it by playing dice. This happened to fulfill what the scriptures say. They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. As Jesus hangs on the cross, he utters his, the very first of seven statements on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. There are two main points here. The first is forgiveness. It says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This might sound strange, but in order to enjoy a nice, juicy hamburger or steak, that animal had to die and its blood had to be shed. There's a principle here. For us to live, someone or something must die. In order to enjoy even a salad, somebody has to harvest the living crop. The crop dies and is turned into food to help you and I, to help you and I sustain life. In order for us to experience and enjoy eternal life with God, the Lord set up the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. But the writer of Hebrews tells us it wasn't without its faults. And the point was to point us or to point to something greater. What's the greater? Well, it's Christ willingly becoming a sacrifice for us and for our sins. If the blood of lambs and goats could provide cleansing from sin, how much more will the blood of Jesus do? The blood of a lamb that was a symbol of Christ delivered an entire nation from the oppression of slavery through what we call the Passover. How much more will the blood of Jesus do? The blood of Jesus shakes the heavens and the earth. It opens the door to all men who repent and believe in him, and they will receive this free gift, the gift of forgiveness. It says in Psalm 32, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. I will repeat it again. 
The point of the cross is joy. Through the cross, you are transferred from the kingdom of chaos to the kingdom of peace and joy. The second point is that Christ loved his enemies. It was his enemies who put him on that cross, but Christ forgave them. The power of the cross is this. It turns haters into lovers. The Apostle Paul is a great example. He hated and persecuted the early church. He didn't know what he was doing. He was blind. He thought he was doing the righteous thing, trying to stop some religious Jewish cult that promoted worshiping a man, which to him would have been idolatry. After just one encounter with the living Christ, he turned from a hater to becoming a lover. And he actually laid down his life to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The cross isn't about rules. It's about love. Love that turns us and the world upside down. Jesus admonishes his followers to love their enemies and to pray for them. Then you will become sons of God. I encourage and challenge you. Think about all the people who have hurt you and caused you pain in this life. Maybe even unspeakable pain. Pray for them. They didn't, they didn't know what they were doing. They were blind. Pray for them. Ask the Father to help you forgive and let go. You are not a victim. You're a conqueror. God forbid you let anyone who hurts you keep you from the freedom that Jesus purchased and desires so greatly to give you. But there is a response required on our part. So let us pray like Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's get back to the story again. As the crowd watched, the Jewish leaders scoffed at him, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. If he's really the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross right now. We will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. The mockery of Jesus by the Jewish leader really reveals their level of envy and bitterness towards him. He challenged their authority and now they got what they wanted. Jesus is hanging on the cross on the verge of death. You would think they would just go home in peace, but nope. In their mind, they are the rightful leaders of Israel, not this rogue rabbi teacher who challenged them. They were just like their ancestors and the ones the prophets, prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel had spoke about and against. They had, an un, they had an evil, unbelieving heart, and they used their positions of influence for their own selfish ambition. Instead of leading the people in paths of righteousness, they were leading them in the paths of self-destruction. Not only did they mock Jesus... One of the revolutionaries who was crucified next to him began ridiculing him by saying, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too. However, the other criminal began to pro protest, saying, Don't you fear God? Even when you're, you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Earlier I had mentioned, you know, I believe these two men crucified with Jesus were revolutionaries versus tr the traditional view they are thieves. The reason is that more information now is available and more people are saying they were revolutionaries. 
Now, I'm not an expert on Roman law, but what I do understand, crucifixion was reserved, though, for like the, the baddest of the bad or the worst of the worst criminals, according to Rome. Seems unlikely they would kind of sentence p petty thieves to a cross. But it does seem more likely if they were guilty of conspiracy to commit insurrection or guilty of insurrection, they would desire to punish them harshly to make an example out of them. The criminal who ridiculed Jesus said this. He said, if you are the Messiah, save yourself and us too. See, many Jews hoped for a political Messiah to help overthrow Rome. So the criminal on the cross who ridiculed Jesus seems to fall in line that he was hoping, like many, that Rome would be conquered and Israel would be free from their occupation. Also, it says in Isaiah 53 that he, speaking of Jesus, would be counted among the rebels, meaning revolutionaries. The accusation by the Jewish authorities was that Jesus was leading a revolt and was a revolutionary, hence the sign and charge against him, the king of the Jews. So Jesus is accused and charged as a revolutionary, and the two men who were crucified with him were charged and probably guilty of being revolutionaries. One mocked him, the other one came to his senses. What happened? It probably started with regret. Maybe trying to overthrow Rome wasn't such a good idea. Look where it got me. He probably heard about Jesus and his miracles and all he had done. He knew that Jesus was in it. Innocent, he said it. He knew Jesus wasn't like him. He sees Jesus suffering just like him on the cross, and he hears him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He's probably thinking, yep, I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted freedom, but I was blinded by my zeal, and I was willing to kill other humans for it. Like the prodigal son, he comes to his senses and he asks Jesus to remember him. Jesus utters his second statement on the cross to him. I assure you today, you will see me in paradise. Boom, bam. I mean, come on. Wow. Just like that. The Lord doesn't delight in sacrifices, but in mercy. He isn't thirsty for blood, but he is looking for a broken and contrite heart. Jesus looks at the man next to him and says, Today, your future and eternal destiny is going to be changed. You're going to be with me forever. See, when someone simply and sincerely calls on the name of the Lord, they don't need a lot of words. They just need to be honest. The Father hears them and answers. A short Heartfelt prayer can change a person's life and eternal future forever. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus came to save sinners. The fact that he laid down his life points to how generous he is. He wishes no one will perish, but all will come to him. These are my closing thoughts. The cross of Christ is about joy. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who found a great treasure in a field and with joy goes out and sells all he has to buy the field. This parable has two meanings. First, Jesus sees us as a great treasure and he gives up all the comforts of heaven and he becomes a man. Crucifixion is one of the most horrible evils that humans have fought up to kill somebody. Jesus willingly suffers this great evil and uses it to bring redemption. The word redeem means to buy back or to purchase. He purchased us and our freedom with his own blood. The second meaning is that Jesus is the great treasure. And if we will turn away from evil and follow him with our whole heart, we will take possession of him and he's a great treasure. Paul says in Colossians, 
that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Once again, it says in Hebrews, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He did it so that you and I could be reconciled and restored back into a joyful relationship with him. He gives us the free free gift of forgiveness. He delivers us from all our enemies because he conquered them on the cross. We look to the cross for our source of joy and strength to endure trials we are going through with the promise that he will one day give us a crown of glory. If you're going through something hard, take joy. Look ahead. Jesus is rooting and fighting for you. He will take delight in giving you the crown of life. Make the decision today. Do not give up and do not give in. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I will continue on this theme of the cross in the next episode as well. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like prayer about something, you can email me at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day. Ah!